unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic because we're taking a trip down memory lane in the <laughs> series, in my favorite series of all the stuff that we do on Copywriters Podcast. These are my favorite episodes, so I'm excited for what we've got lined up today. Well, I am too. Um, today we're back in the old master series, as you just mentioned, and we've got some helpful hints from a little known but highly successful copywriter back in the early 20th century. Um, he's simply known for now by three initials, JKF. And this was a guy, I kid you not, who literally started out writing copy for food. He was quoted as saying, no one wanted an advertising man like me. Had to make a deal, had to eat, so made a deal with a mate and a cook of a ship who had opened up a restaurant in 23rd Street. Every week I put a poster in the window inviting people to come in and eat. In payment, whenever I felt hungry, I went and ate on the house. <laughs> it started out like that, but he ended up as a rich and successful CEO of a New York ad agency. JKF. Now, notice I'm not saying JFK, JKF. JKF wrote a chapter in the book Masters of Advertising Copy, and the chapter was called Copy Don'ts. We're going to talk about some of them today. But first, we're going to talk about something much more modern, really 2020, and very much related to copywriting. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So now let's talk about old master JKF. Uh, Nathan, I got a little surprise for you. I withheld his name on purpose because his actual name is J.K. Fraser. Oh, nice. And I thought I would spring that on you. And since he was a talented copywriter with a flair for the visual arts, I'm wondering if you've been holding back on us all these years and he was like a great uncle of yours or something. <laughs> uh, we'll have to, have to get my results from 23andMe and we'll find out. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I got, I got more more evidence, J.K. Fraser developed a series of famous cards that were advertising cards that were used in subways and streetcars for a cleaning product called Sapolio. And the cards had little poems on them like this. This is a maid of fair renown who scrubs the floors of spotless town to find a speck when she is through would take a pair of specks or two. And her employment isn't slow, for she employs Sapolio. Now, what I want to ask you, Nathan, is in your professional opinion, is that like the hip-hop of the 1920s? <laughs> it is. I think it's also a little bit of 
the content marketing of the 1920s because it sounds like a nursery rhyme that kids might sing. So it's an advertisement, but it could also be some content. Yeah. So this, this guy, he had it going on. And um, here's um, another interesting factoid about him. He had an engineering degree from Cornell. And that's why he said, when I was reading you early about the restaurant and uh, we'll write copy for food, that's why he said, no one wanted an advertising man like me. Of course, he won the advertising world over. And as an engineer himself, he also had a soft spot in his heart for engineers who had a good idea, but not the greatest ability to express the idea right away. One of his don'ts was, don't expect an engineer to be lucid. Keep patiently with him. In time, you will discover what he is driving at. It turns out that his chapter had 38 don'ts in it, and a 39th could have been, don't try and include all of the other 38 don'ts in one podcast. He didn't say that, but I, I realized that. So I picked eight good ones that are really helpful, and I put them into five groups. So you ready to get started on the don'ts? Absolutely. All right. So here are a couple of don'ts about facts, facts and copywriting. Don't write until you have the facts and don't start to use the facts until you separate the important from the unimportant. It sounds simple enough, but it brings up two questions that not everyone has a ready answer to. Where do you find the facts to begin with? And how do you sort out the important ones from the rest? No formula exists that I know of for that, but here are some starting points. And then I'll have a really interesting story from uh, one of my friends and heroes, Joe Sugarman, uh, who's a cop, great copywriter and great business owner, great marketer. Uh, but let me give you the, the ideas first. Find facts. Here's how you find facts. You find facts, you ask questions, you read company and product info, you talk to salespeople, talk to customer service people, look at online reviews, ask more questions. Don't try and keep it all in your head. Write it down or have it recorded and transcribe it. So that's one thing. Find facts. Second thing is sort out important ones from the others. You have to figure out which facts would be important to the prospect, to the prospect, and make them more likely to buy if they knew these facts. Now, of course, after you've had some experience of success and probably experience of failures too, as well as going, going through this fact process, you'll know how to shortcut it because you'll intuitively know who to talk to, and you'll quickly recognize the good stuff when you hear it. You could even come up with a hook on the spot. That's, that's a pretty stunning idea, right? Uh, that's a master level of con accomplishment, but I have a real-life example for you from 45 years old. Renowned marketer Joe Sugarman, in his book Success Forces, cites this example, and, and I will quote it word for word. This thing happened 45 years ago. I was approached at the Consumer Electronics Show in June of 1975 and presented with a new product about to be manufactured in Hong Kong. The product was presented to me as a miniature walkie-talkie. It measured only half inch by one and a half inches by five inches, and it fit into a pocket. pocket. So it was a handy device. And listen to these next words. But I needed more information so I could explain why the unit was so small how it operated, and most important, what would appeal to the consumer. 
I met with the engineers and explained, and they explained how sensitive the unit's receiver was, how well the transmitter performed, and how the integrated circuits functioned in a unit. Now, I'm going to stop reading for a second and say, a lot of copywriters would stop there and say, oh, man, that's cool. Wow, that's interesting. He didn't. Um, but something was missing, he says. I'm reading what he says again. I still hadn't found the really exciting way to present the product until the engineers started to talk about the transmitter frequency. The engineer mentioned that it transmitted on the 27 megahertz frequency. Listen to the next words. I delved further. What other products broadcast on that frequency, I questioned. The engineers told me that the CB bands, remember CB radio from way back? The CB bands used the frequency, and 27 megahertz was, in fact, CB channel 14. That was the grabber I was looking for. The CB craze was just beginning, and the fact that the miniature walkie-talkie broadcast on channel 14 gave me my headline, Pocket CB. The sales soared. Unfortunately, the manufacturer had production delays. But when we finally delivered, the Pocket CB turned out to be one of the most successful products in our history. So that is like the best story I've ever heard, seen, read, that I know of, of the process of getting facts and just keeping going what my friend Carlton, John Carlton calls being a sales detective. Um, Joe Sugarman was doing that intuitively, or maybe not intuitively, maybe very purposefully, but you you see how he went from portable walkie-talkie to pocket CB. Oh, I want that. Um, Pretty interesting. Any thoughts about fact-finding or digging for facts? Uh, Just something that you've often told me, which is when sorting through what should be included and what shouldn't be included, asking yourself, does this lead to the sale? And if it doesn't, go ahead and exclude it. But finding those little gems that do lead to the sale, like the pocket CB and the fact that it broadcast on channel 14 or the frequency, I think you said 27, Mm -hmm. um, knowing is this going to lead to the sale? Is it not? And then using that to determine whether or not it goes in your copy or becomes a major piece of your copy. It's one of those things that a lot of times copywriters, we want to throw everything in the kitchen sink. And sometimes the editing process is, is asking ourselves what, doesn't belong here and what does and only sticking with the stuff that does. So kind of a long convoluted way of getting to the point, but yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point that we all often want to throw everything, including the kitchen sink in there. What, what Sugarman did, and he didn't say it this way, but I can analyze it this way is he found converging lines. I mean, one line was, and this is the last one he found, but the C the, the CB craze, Citizens Band Radio craze, CB craze, and, you know, Channel 14 and Pocket Walkie Talkie. And he's all doing this in his head very quickly, but he found that sweet spot, and that's how he sold a lot of these things, made a lot of money. Real quick question for, I guess, the listeners and for myself. That seems like a lot of leeway that he had as a copywriter. They said, hey, we've got this product. We're trying to sell it as this. 
And he says, I've got this totally different angle that I want to use to sell it. And the company said, okay, well, let's go ahead and try your positioning instead of the positioning that we already had. Um, Some clients are pretty stubborn. And then other clients are like, hey, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, As a copywriter, how often do have you or uh, I know I've run into it before where where you've got a brilliant idea. Hey, let's reposition this as a pocket CB radio where the client just says, no, we've already paid the branding team and we've already paid the packaging team. And we've already, and, and uh, you, sometimes you don't have that kind of leeway. Yeah. So a, a couple answers to that question. First of all, I think what Joe Sugar, Joe Sugarman had a, a company, he had a distribution channel. He was probably buying these wholesale. He may have even ordered a special brand. This, this company was a wholesaler. They, they weren't the company. They were a source. I've often rebranded stuff. I didn't even use those words because branding used to be a forbidden word in direct marketing, but I've retitled products um, that have helped them sell a ton. These days, I'm very careful if somebody has an idea that I know I can't sell because I, I do work with a few clients for copy and I do you know positioning for some people. And if, you know, if they're trying to sell an unsellable idea, I just won't take them as a client. But yeah, I've, I, the, the bigger problem I've run into usually is where the owner of a business or the head of an organization is, is very open to this stuff. And then there's this person right under them who's the marketing VP or something, and they need to make sure that they look smarter than I do. Mm-hmm. And so that's just... That's a pissing contest. You can't win. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. So what's the next one? The next one is a don't about prospects. Specifically, don't assume your reader is sitting before you in front of you in a buying frame of mind. He may be half asleep. He may be worrying about his own troubles. In either case, you will have to hook him hard with some quick points of interest. And this is a big one because as you work on your copy, you, the copywriter, you're not objective. You're generally going to get sold on it. You're going to become more enthusiastic, more convinced than your prospects are when they start looking at your copy. Maybe by the time they get to the end of your copy, they'll be that excited, but usually not when they first find out about it. So what you have to do is dial yourself back to where your prospect is mentally at, at the beginning, which very well could be distracted, uninterested, exhausted, or as JK says, just focused on their own stuff. And then put everything you have into writing in an opening that will get your prospect riveted. Don't assume they already are. Try and get them riveted to reading what comes next. And this is the area I find people have most trouble with. I'll I'll tell you, when I do a critique for someone, I find usually that the opening is where it all falls apart. There, there are things that need, it's just wrong. It's it, wrong. It's not wrong. It, it's just ineffective. It's just not exciting to readers. And usually when you fix that, you can often fix a whole promotion. whole ad. Mm-hmm. I think also the fact that there's so many more things distracting a lot of times where we're advertising now, there's way more content to compete with. It used to be we're advertising in a newspaper and there's some articles that we're competing with. Now we're advertising on Facebook and there's 
a hundred million Facebook posts to compete with, or we're advertising on YouTube and there's an entire feed of videos that YouTube wants their people to, to view. And we're competing with all of that. So knowing, first of all, what state of mind they're in when they're consuming the content where we're placing our advertisement and knowing how to grab their attention while they're in that state of mind. So it's not just the state of mind they're in in general, it's the state of mind they're in while they're consuming the content where we're putting our stuff. Yep. Yep. That's a really good point, uh, especially about the distractions. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. All right, let's go to number three. Two don'ts about persuasion. One, don't figure that any product of itself makes a tame subject for advertising copy. A good writer can put a thrill in a nebular hypothesis. Okay, I don't expect anyone, I had to look up nebular myself, I had an idea. Nebula is a cloud of gas and dust in outer space. So there you go. The second don't, don't consider your job done when you have brought out the merits of the product. Make the reader like the company that offers it. That's sort of a branding idea. I'd put it in much simpler human terms than that. This is pretty simple. You're not providing a data sheet. You're providing a sales presentation in print. There's an old saying among salespeople, which is absolutely true in my experience, like 99% of the time, there are very few exceptions. People buy from people they know, like, and trust. And one way to get people to like you, to like your company, is to show them that you understand how they feel or that your company gets how they feel and it's on their side. And this ultimately comes not from your imagination alone, but from knowing your prospect, even better having talked to people. I'm going to repeat those through talked to people in your target market. I think that one, one thing you mentioned just selling them on the product isn't enough. You have to sell them on you or your business or your company. Uh, That's one of the hurdles that we don't tend to even think about, but it is one of the things that's going on in the prospect's mind. They might think to themselves, yeah, this is awesome. This is a perfect thing, but do I trust this company? There's five other companies selling the same thing. Why should I trust this company's version of it? Especially nowadays where we have so many me too products being the one that has earned the most trust and most likability and most familiarity or most, um, uh, they say people like us, like us as a copywriter, it's our job to relate with the reader and let them know, Hey, we're like you. We understand what you're going through. We understand where you're coming from. 
having that can be the deciding factor of whether they buy from you or the five other companies selling a very similar thing to you. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of an old song by Chicago. You can't do the falsetto, but how can I be sure in a world that's constantly changing? And that's that's kind of what's going on in people's minds, right? Okay, four. Two don'ts about trust. First one, don't expect to get a fair-minded hearing if you employ unfair claims and phraseology. Two, don't exaggerate unless you're willing to plant mistrust. So building trust to start with, I would say, is a matter of respect for your prospect, assuming they are persuadable, but most of all, smart enough to tell the difference between a truth and a bald-faced lie. Now, often there's exaggeration in copy and in life. Uh, The trick is to know the difference between what some people call embellishment and outright, you know, ill will deception. I mean, if you're selling something artistic or aesthetic, let's say it's a vase, subtle difference. You could put a picture, vase, if you're from the East Coast. Let's say you put up a picture of it and say, isn't this the most beautiful vase you've ever seen? And it may or may not be, but it offers the prospect a chance to agree or disagree. There's some respect in the way you do that. But if you say, this is the most beautiful vase that you can buy today, your prospect might look at it, disagree, and that's the end of that. Uh, Still, people are used to exaggeration these days, perhaps more than they were in the 1920s when this was written. But when it comes to making claims that are simply not true, especially factual claims involving numbers or outcomes or something you claim someone said that they didn't really say, you're just tempting people not to trust you. Here's a don't about creativity, and I saved the best to last. It's not that the other ones aren't important. They are, but this is, I think, where most people miss out. So let's talk about it. And this has to do not with the finished copy itself, but the process of coming up with winning ideas, new ideas. And here's the don't. Don't get discouraged when ideas fail to flow. Keep on trying. The happy thought may wake you up in the middle of the night. Okay, let's look at a few examples from different fields, and we will eventually come home to copy at the end and how this works. So Albert Hoffman, the Swiss chemist who invented LSD, failed 25 times till he came up with the right formula. And of course, as you know, LSD invented the 1960s. Thomas Edison, the legend is that he tried 10,000 times before he invented the light bulb. Now, however, it's also true that he bought a patent for the light bulb with the filament in it and vacuum seal uh, from Canadian inventors Matthew Evans and Henry Woodward five years before he filed his own patent for the light bulb. So, but the legend is good, whether it's true or not. And light bulbs are important because this invention allowed copywriters to work 16 hours a day since you don't have to depend on candles anymore. Okay, number three, this is personal. Uh, but not that vulnerable. It's the iCoffee. It's my coffee maker. Um, my coffee maker, makes, it's like the, the best electric coffee brewer I've ever found. Um, and I haven't bought the $10,000 one, so there might be better ones. But boy, this one's great. Um, and uh, it has a digital clock on it. Tells you what time it is. Um, it plays the Mozart tune. 
When the coffee is done, we call that the Mozart tone. And the company, this is why I bring it up, the company that makes it, which is Remington, not the people who make the long guns, but Remington, the coffee maker company, they said in their literature that engineers tried over 1,000 iterations before they got it right and brought it to market. Another example, our friend, friend of this podcast, Dr. Doug Pugh, he's been on the show three times. He's also a composer. He wrote an opera that was performed at the Kennedy Center. Doug told me he did five complete rewrites on the opera, plus a lot of fixes on little parts of the piece. So also shout out to Doug, who helped me identify the Mozart tone as the first four bars of Mozart's Eine Kleine, Eine Kleine Nachtmusik. Pardon my bad German accent. Okay, and finally, let's come home to copywriting. There are a million examples, but I think the best one I can find is Ayla's copywriter, David Deutsch, who has been on the show as well, is famous for his bullet points, and he confirmed to me in an email that he does indeed write each bullet point four times. Mm, So I I want to talk real quickly about what gets in the way of of doing this. Um, I think there are three main things. The first one is laziness. I wrote something. That was hard. I don't want to write anything else. The second one is perfectionism. I worked so hard in this. It's so good. I don't, I don't want to do anything else. And then, then the last one might not be perfect. And I might feel bad and I might feel depressed and I might feel suicidal. The third one is hubris, excessive pride or self-confidence. You know, that swagger that <laughs> I don't have to rewrite. So those may be very satisfying to your ego, but it won't be too satisfying for your results. And could really disappoint your clients. So really worth um, sticking with looking for ideas, even when you're frustrated, even when you're spinning your wheels, going nowhere. I've, I've seen this from like three or four different places and I've experienced myself. Sometimes the best way to get an idea is to get extremely linear and almost blinded um, where you just focus on logical, literal stuff. And you try and organize things in a very sequential manner. And then at a certain point, your brain's going to just give up and the idea will come through your intuition. So it's, it's hard to actually learn to do that. It's hard to describe it. But, and, and, and of course, that, that requires a lot of patience too. you know, a certain amount of faith that the process is going to work. I think this was a fantastic episode. Where can people go if they want to check out? You said this was a chapter in a book. What was the name of the book again? Yeah, the book is called Masters of Advertising Copy. And it's, I think there might be a few uh, used copies on Amazon. It's like out of print, but if you can find it or just Google it, you might even, you might even find a free PDF um, rolling around the internet. I mean, I wouldn't know that, but um, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is, we are not giving legal advice here on the Copywriters Podcast. Right. I mean, I've just heard some people say, maybe, you know. Okay. Awesome. Uh, until next time, if you want more of your copywriting fix, you can head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. And until then, we will catch you next time. See you next time.
Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app so we can get into ears of more listeners. Thank you. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network. 